Colossians 2, 13 through 19. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sinuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. The word of the Lord. So, question. Have you ever been judged by a Christian? That got everybody's attention. Yeah, we're going there. Get ready. Have you ever been judged by Christians? Or at least people presenting themselves as Christians? Have they ever, especially if you yourself are a Christian, hasn't, have other Christians ever made you feel like you didn't really qualify? Like you weren't really a real Christian? Have you ever judged another Christian? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of heads nodding around the room. I think it's a really, really, really common experience in our world. Um, and it's probably one of the most common criticisms of Christians in the church is that we are judgmental, which is kind of odd. Because Jesus had some really, really heavy things to say about judgment. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Do not judge, lest you yourself be judged. And the measure by which you judge others is the measure that will be judged unto you. So you would think of all people, Christians would be the most cautious with our judgments. But so often we are not. Why? What's that about? What's wrong with us? Well, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Colossian Christians, actually gives us some real insight into that question. And what Paul has to show us here in chapter 2 is that when Christians start passing judgment on other Christians, it is almost always a signal that something far worse is going on underneath the surface. Judgment, Christians passing judgment, is a symptom of a terrible spiritual sickness that if left unchecked and undealt with has the potential of cutting us off from Jesus Christ, which is to say spiritual death. What is that sickness? Kids, pay attention to your big question list. I'm about to give you number one. <laughs> it is something called the sickness of syncretism. 
syncretism. Now, what in the world is syncretism? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I'm about to tell you. Syncretism, this is number one, kids, pay attention. Number one, syncretism is when two religious stories mix together. It's when you take two meta-narratives. You take a little bit of this one, you take a little bit of that one, you blend them together, and what you get is a new narrative altogether, a different story. Not this one, not that one, but a new one. Now, we, if you remember, we have been talking a lot about narratives in our study in the book of Colossians, right? That our world is full of all of these competing stories that try to tell us what's wrong with the world and what do we do about it? Uh, what does the good life look like? What is human flourishing? And where do we find fulfillment, right? And they're all saying these different things. And what we saw last week is that all of these stories will take you captive, all of them will enslave you. That is to say, all but one. God's true story of everything. Kids, this is number two on your big question list. Pay attention. God's true story of everything is the story that we call the gospel. And it's the story that at the very center of it has the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And it's the only story that sets us free. And the reason that this is a concern for Paul is that in the city of Colossae there has arisen these people. We'll call them heretics. Um, you can, maybe we call them other things, but let's call them that. Um, and these are people that are trying to draw the Colossians away from God's true story of everything. But here's the thing. These were not people out there in the culture. They were not outside the church. These were people who presented themselves as followers of Jesus. But Paul makes it very clear that they were not followers of Jesus because here was their basic message. Oh, you have Jesus. Great. Jesus is good. We like Jesus. You need Jesus. However, if you really want to be complete... If you want to have true spiritual fulfillment, if you want to achieve real Christian maturity, you are going to need something more than Jesus. You need Jesus and this other thing. You need Jesus plus blank. But Paul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you need something in addition to Jesus, in order to get true completion, whatever that thing is, whatever's in that blank, you're getting that from a different story, a story that's not the gospel, okay? And if you try to mix in even just a little bit of a different story into the gospel, what you will actually get is a story that's not the gospel. You'll end up with a new story, and what's worse, a lesser story a cheap substitute, a shadow of the real thing. And if left long enough, that new story has the potential to kill you spiritually. That is the sickness of syncretism. And the way you know that you or someone else you know has contracted a case of syncretism is that we start passing judgment on each other. Syncretism has wiped out churches all over the globe for the past 
2,000 years of the church. It was a danger to the Colossian Christians, and it is a danger to us in St. Louis, Missouri, 2019. And if we don't pay attention to what Paul tells us here in Colossians, we might fall prey to this sickness. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I would actually say this is really important for you to hear too. Because if you're here and you're considering what does it actually mean to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, you want to make sure that you are following the real Jesus and not a different story. Because a different story will kill you. Okay? So let's pay attention. Let's look at this together. If you are a person who likes organization, if you like notes, pens and pencils at the ready, I'm about to give you three points that will help keep us organized. Okay? Point number one, what are the stories we are tempted to add on to the gospel? What are the stories that we're tempted to add on to the gospel? Number two, why? Why are we tempted to add those stories? And number three, the cure to syncretism. All right? What are the stories we are tempted to add? Why are we tempted to add them? The cure to syncretism. Okay? That's where we're going. So first, what are the stories that we are tempted to add on to the gospel? Well, from what I can tell, I think Paul identifies three distinct syncretistic stories in the book of Colossians. And we're going to look at all three. The first story is not as obvious in our passage. It is there, but it's kind of buried beneath some complicated Greek. So for time's sake, what I'm going to do is say this. If you weren't here last week, you can listen to the sermon online. But if you were here, remember last week, a little bit earlier in chapter 2, Paul says, do not be taken captive by, does anybody remember the word? Philosophy, A+. plus. <laughs> Philosophy, he uses that word. Okay, what story is that? Well, in the early Christian church, both in the time of the New Testament, in the first few centuries, many, many, many early Christian leaders spent a lot of time and energy trying to make the Christian message, the gospel message, understandable, uh, compelling, convincing to the Greek philosophical mind. It's because in that time in history, Greco-Roman philosophers were like the cultural social elite. What they said, what they wrote, it just had this trickle-down effect. It affected everybody. So they tried really hard to make it understandable. They would use philosophical words. They would use rhetorical arguments, right, in order to, like, get these guys on board. And some of the early Christian leaders were themselves philosophers at one time. But some Christian leaders, not all, not even many, some, some of them got really into being very philosophical. And it, they got so focused on the presentation of the gospel message that they began to neglect the content of the message. And pretty soon it was all about their vanity and sounding very smart and convincing. And pretty soon some of them even began to say things like, listen guys, Christianity, Greco-Roman philosophy, it's all the same thing. We're all on the same team here. There's really no difference. Jesus was just kind of like the ultimate philosopher. Now, what were these guys trying to add on to the gospel? We could call it different things, but I'd like to call it the story of cool. The story of cool. Because that is a story that we 
are tempted to add on to the gospel too. And it usually starts off in a good place. It usually starts off with, you know what? You know, we have this wonderful message of the gospel, but if people don't understand what we're talking about, if they don't find it relevant or convincing, no one's going to listen. So we have to speak the language of the culture. We have to kind of be on some level com- convincing and compelling, attractive to the modern, to modern people, right? And th- that's actually true. Paul, in a different letter, says, look, I will be a Jew to the Jew. I will be a Greek to the Greeks. I will be all things to all people that I might win some to Christ, okay? If people are going to reject the gospel, it should be because of the message itself, not because our presentation of it is offensive, right? But then the story of cool starts to kind of slip in through the cracks. And the way you know that's happened is we start judging each other. We start saying things like, oh, have you seen that church? Their music is awful. Oh, and their building is, oh, it's heinous. And their preacher is dumpy and boring. I don't know why anybody would ever go to a church like that. Have you, have you met these people? They're so judgy. They're always talking about sin. Ugh. I can't believe them. I'm just glad that I'm a part of a church where people really get it. <laughs> I'm just glad that I know that my church, my people, really understand how this Christianity thing works. <laughs> but if left long enough, if that goes undealt with, what that becomes is a story that says, you know what? God just wants you to be happy. He loves you. And he created everything, and he created everything good, which includes your desires. So if you want something, God wants you to have it. He, will never, he would never say no to you, and he's not all that concerned about your sin. He just wants you to feel good, you know, because we all just want to get along, and we want you to feel good, and we just ever want everybody to, you know, peace, love, and groovy feelings, guys. That's all that really matters. But that story is not the gospel. Do you remember what Paul called associated with the word philosophy do not be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit it's a vain lie because what the gospel tells us is our sin is a very big deal our hearts our minds our desires are so broken it is wrecking our own lives and it's wrecking the world and the only thing that could fix it was god himself had to become a human being and to die a horrific death on the cross. And God is far more interested in our holiness than our temporary comfort. Right? That's the story of cool. What about the second story? Well, that shows up in verse 16, where Paul says, do not let anybody pass judgment on you in regards to food, drink, festivals, new moons, Sabbaths. All right? Now, What's he talking about? Well, there's a, some debate about what Paul's actually referencing specifically there, but it's pretty obvious it's, he's, that is a list of Jewish laws, traditions, rituals, right? I mean, the word Sabbath is kind of the big giveaway there. Um, and so, again, we're not really sure exactly. Is he referencing somebody specifically? Is there being more generic? But do you guys remember? Back a couple years ago, we studied the book of Galatians, and we talked about this group of people called the Judaizers. Remember that? So the Judaizers were Jewish converts to Christianity, right? And, but what they were teaching was, they were saying, yeah, Jesus, if you want to be right with God, if you want to be justified before God, yes, you need Jesus, but you also have to obey the law, 
okay? And not just the Ten Commandments, you have to obey all of the laws. So the laws about clean and unclean foods and circumcision and the festivals. And you also have to keep the traditions because there are all these laws that came up, these traditions that came about after the Old Testament ended. And, because, and, they, and they came up about like saying, okay, the law of God says keep the Sabbath, but that's really ambiguous. So we're going to lay out exactly what it looks like. If you don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And if, you, and if you can check all those boxes, you've kept the Sabbath and you know it. And here's what all the clean and unclean laws say, but we're going to add a few more onto those just to make sure we are being holy. Okay. And it was all about this. Like, we just really want to make sure we are ke- keeping the law down to the letter. Right? And they said, look, these are what faithful followers of God were doing before us. So if you want to be right with God, you should live the same way. Okay? But do you remember what Paul's problem with the Judaizers was? Guys, you don't keep the law. That's why Jesus had to come. So what were these, what were these people, what was the story that they were trying to add on to the gospel? I think we might call it the story of legalism. The story of legalism. And that's a story that we are tempted to add on as well. And it usually starts off in a good place. It usually starts off with a desire for God's people to live God's way. To be faithful to what God's word says. Right? We're called to be, we are a city on a hill. We are a light to the world. And we're called to live that in a way that is different and distinct from the world around us. And usually, we, you know, legalism starts off with... We need to do that. We need to get serious about this. But then that story starts to creep in through the cracks and we start judging each other. And we start coming up with a list of rules that God himself did not lay down. And we start judging each other and we say things like, real Christians don't drink, don't smoke, don't dance, or date women that do. Real Christians don't watch R-rated movies or listen to music that is not explicitly Christian. Real Christians will dress modestly. I find that last one tends to apply mainly to women. That's been my experience. <laughs> but I, my guess is also that list of rules I just li- I, I, I gave you there, that probably doesn't land very much in this room. I think for us, the ones that we tend to fall into a little bit more often is things like, you know, serious Christians will read their Bible and pray every day. And if you're not doing that, you're really not being very faithful. Or probably more and more common that I see is, I don't know how anybody could consider themselves a Christian and vote for this or that candidate. I don't know how anybody could ever consider themselves a Christian and not vote for this or that candidate. I don't know how you could ever consider yourself a Christian and support this or that legislation or this or that political group or not support this or that political group. You know, feel that one? Yeah. But here's the problem. If left unchecked, undealt with, what what will happen is you will end up with a story that says, I know that God is pleased with me because I'm a good person. Because I kept the rules, I associated with the right people and political parties, and I've done all the right things. But that's not the gospel. That, as Paul says, is a shadow. 
in verse 17. It's a shadow. It's just the outline of the thing we really need. Because what the gospel actually says is that all have sinned. We've all fallen short of what God actually requires of us. Which is why we needed a savior. And it is by grace that we have been rescued. It is a gift of God. Not by our works, our good decisions, or our political affiliations. That is the story of legalism. All right, one last story. Where is it? It is in verse 18, where Paul says, Do not let anybody disqualify you in regards to aesthetic practices, worship of angels, and visions, and all that. Okay, so who is he talking about here? Well, at this time in history, there was a strand of Judaism that got really, really focused on like what we might call mysticism. They were really, really into special knowledge, secret knowledge, and special revelation from God or from angels. And in fact, they got really, really focused on angels. And not just that angels exist, but they, what, they wanted to know like the hierarchies of angels, and they wanted to know all about the secret activities of angels. And it was really important that an angel speak to you and you have special dreams or visions. And so they would do these extreme fasts. They would go out in the desert for days and days and days and days with no food or water to the point where they were having hallucinations, right? Because they have to have the vision, right? And that actually started creeping into the church as well, where you had Christians that were really focused on all of these dreams and visions and angels to the point where they began to neglect Jesus himself. So what, what's the story that is being added there? What's the story? Well, we might we could call it different things, but I think I'd like to call it the story of experiences. The story of experiences. Because that is a story that we are tempted to add on to. And again, it usually starts off with something good. It usually starts off with an actual experience. A supernatural experience, right, where God allow something supernatural to happen in your life and it's wow it's amazing and then you go and you look in the bible and you see an example of that happening in the bible you're like oh this is real this is so wonderful right but then we begin to focus on that thing more than the bible does and we begin to really really focus on it more than we ought to and that story of experiences begins to creep in and next thing you know we're judging each other and we're saying things like Unless you speak in tongues, you're not a real Christian. Unless you have a conversion experience story, you're not a real Christian. If you don't know what that is, it's when you can say, I remember where I was, what I was doing. I remember the day, the minute. I remember praying the prayer and the Holy Spirit grabbed me and I felt it and he brought me from death to life. And if you don't have a big story like that, you're not a real Christian. Or we say things like, you know, if you don't experience a miraculous healing or a victory over something in your life or a special healing, or, then you're not a Christian. Some people would say, if you haven't really suffered for Jesus, you're not a real Christian. And if left long enough, undealt with and unchecked, that becomes a story that says, Jesus Christ really is just the means to the end of this special spiritual experience is the thing that you really need. 
Jesus is just the way you get to have this special experience that you need. But that's not the gospel. The gospel says Jesus is the means, and he is the end. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the fullness of God himself. He is all that we need. And if that's the story that you're living with, do you know what it is? It's like a severed limb. Look at verse 19. Paul says, you're, you're cut off. You're not actually connected to, it feels like you're alive, but actually you're disconnected from the very thing that gives you life. It's dead. So what are the stories that we are tempted to add on to the gospel? We are tempted to add the story of cool, the story of legalism, and the story of experiences. But if you try to add something else onto Jesus in order to find true fulfillment and completion, you will not get something more than Jesus. You'll actually get something far less. You'll end up with a different story. But the real question is why? Why do we do this? I mean, the Colossians were dealing with this. They were tempted by these stories. Churches throughout time and history have been tempted by these stories, and we are tempted by these stories. Why are they so tempting? Why won't they just get gone? Well, I think the answer lies in what are they promising to give us? The reason anything is tempting to you is because it's promising to give you something you really want or need, right? So what are they promising? What's the promise of the story of cool? If you're cool, right, what, define that however, you, you know, whatever you are, what, you know, if you have the right kind of music, the right kind of aesthetic, if you have the right kind of, you know, cool theology, whatever it is, if you're cool, people will like it, and they will come, and they will like you, and you'll be accepted. You'll belong. You won't be an outsider, you'll be an insider, Ooh, boy, that's something we all want, isn't it? We all want to be accepted. We all long to belong. But here's the thing. As every aging rock star will tell you, if you are depending upon your coolness for your acceptance, it will always be in question. Because what's cool today, not cool tomorrow. And people are very fickle. What about the story of legalism. What is it promising to give us? If you are good, if you keep these rules, if you keep, do these rituals, if you, uh, you know, keep this tradition, what? You can know that you're a good person, which means you're safe. You will not be condemned. You will not be judged. God is happy with you you're secure, right? And that is something we all want, even if you're not a Christian, right? You, we all long to know, am I doing what I need to do so that karma doesn't come around and bite me in the butt, right? We all long to know that we're secure, that we're safe. But as any recovering Pharisee will tell you, if you are depending upon your ability to keep the rules for your security, you will not be secure. You will be very, very insecure and anxious your whole life because the checklist never ends. And you're always wondering, was, was it good enough? And what happens if somebody who comes along and they obey the rules just a little bit better than you? Well, does that mean that I'm not doing a good enough job? Or, oh, well, okay, I did an okay job yesterday, but what about tomorrow? 
what about the story of experiences? What is it promising to give us? If you have these special experiences, then you will be satisfied. You'll be full. You'll know that I'm living the life that I'm supposed to live because it's so full. Right? And that's something we all want. We all want to be satisfied. We all want to know that we're living life to the full, right? But as any drug addict, junkie, or Enneagram type 7 can tell you, if you are depending upon experiences in order to get satisfaction, you will never find it. Because every experience leaves you looking for the next one. And every single one has diminishing returns of fulfillment. What are the stories that we are tempted to add on to the gospel in order to find fulfillment? And why? We are tempted to add the story of cool because it promises acceptance. We're tempted to add the story of legalism because it promises security. And we're tempted to add the story of experiences because it promises satisfaction. But these stories are a cheap lie, a shadow, a severed limb. They will not give us what they actually promise to deliver. And if we try to add on to Jesus in order to get more than Jesus, we'll actually end up with less. Have you ever judged another Christian? Have you ever said something or even just thought something that was like, place judgment on them? Have you ever felt judgmental thoughts about yourself as you compare yourself to another Christian? I think we all have. That's a really universal experience. When that happens... We need to stop, slow down, and pay attention because that judgment is telling us that another story other than the gospel is starting to seep in and it's threatening to sever us off from Jesus. So what do we do? How do we keep the sickness of syncretism from becoming fatal? Well, the only way to defeat a bad but powerful story is with a better one. We remember the story. Kids, this is number three on your big questions. Number three, the cure to syncretism as we remember the gospel story. We remember that my, our acceptance is not based upon our ability to make ourselves presentable, but rather we are accepted because on the cross, Jesus Christ was rejected. And now, as Paul says earlier in the book of Colossians, he presents us holy and blameless and above reproach. We remember the story that says I am not made secure because of my record of rule-keeping, but rather I have been made secure ultimately by the righteous record of Jesus Christ on my behalf and because on the cross he took my debt to Almighty God. And what does Paul say? He nailed it there. If you're in Christ, there is no more checklist. You are free from the fear of condemnation. We remember that Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and life to the full. We remember the story that says there is a day coming 
when Jesus comes back to this earth and he remakes it. And we will, on that day, finally live the life we were always meant to live. A life that is unending, that is free of death and pain and mourning and sickness and emptiness. We remember the story. Do you guys know the concept of herd immunity? I realize I just shifted gears there. Stick with me. This, this will make sense. Have you heard the concept herd immunity? It's this idea that if you have a group of people or even animals, you have a, you have a community, all right, they will be resistant to a disease spreading in that community if enough members of that community are immune. That if you have enough people within that community immune to the disease, it won't spread. We remember the story of the gospel not in isolation and not solely for ourselves. We do it for each other. We remember the story for and with one another so that our community can be one where we are spiritually healthy and not spiritually sick. Now, I want to give you something real practical, okay? How do we remember the story together? And this is something I want all of you to go today, this week, and talk to each other about. But here are some examples. We remember the story right now. Every Sunday in our worship time together, this is what we're doing. Unison, we remember the story together. In our community groups, in our small groups, we remember the story together. And maybe during our time together that's unofficial, non-like official church time, when we're together, can we be the kind of community that's willing to ask really uncomfortable questions like, what story is calling out to you more than Jesus right now? What, what is the story that you're tempted to listen to? Can we be the kind of community where it's safe to say, I judged you, and I'm sorry. What are the stories that we're tempted to add on to the gospel and why? We're tempted to add the story of cool because it promises acceptance. We're tempted to add the story of legalism because it promises security. We're tempted to add the story of experiences because it promises satisfaction. But those are all cheap lies, shadows, and they will not give us what they promise. And if we try to add on to Jesus in order to get more than Jesus, we won't find it. So what do we do? We remember the story, the better story, the, sto the only story that can actually set us free. All right, let me pray.